Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! Hey everybody, welcome to a uh, fresh installment of the Search for Truth uh, Bible study. Whether you're tuning in on YouTube or whether you're joining us via the podcast, I want to thank you so much for your faithful listening. And um, I am going to continue these studies. Uh, It's taken me just a little bit to get my bearings since, um, since our schedule resumed and many of you know that I teach quite a few Bible studies and uh, I think I found a good place in my schedule to put this. Um, We will see how many times per week I can record and uh, I'm going to do as much as I can. So thank you so much for tuning in and uh, if this blesses you today be sure to like, subscribe, share, etc. I want to get the, the word out to as many people as I can and encourage them. We're going to continue today in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Um, uh, Many people have reached out to me uh, regarding Behave in Your Cave and how um, convicted some folks, challenged some folks, maybe offended a a person or two, but you know, that's not necessarily meaning that it's wrong. Um, And uh, how many of you have been stuck in that cave. And so we're going to get out of the cave uh, today. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and uh, by the way, this will be likely my last lesson in 1 Samuel. The reason is because um, there's not much left to it, actually, that I haven't already uh, taught in previous lessons. How that David spares Saul in 26. Uh, he uh, goes among the, the Philistines in 27. How Saul seeks a seer in 28. Um, how uh, they go to battle and the death of Saul and he's, he's killed by the Amalekite at the end of the chapter uh, of 31. And so this will be our final study in 1 Samuel. I'm praying and I'm trying to get direction as to where the Lord wants us to head next. And uh, hopefully you stick around for that. But uh, tonight, uh, I'm recording this at evening time, no matter what time that you end up uh, watching this, it's evening where I am. And uh, so I'm going to say tonight quite a bit. Uh, we're going to talk about the power of an intercessor. Now, please understand that the concept of intercession is a dense topic. It is uh, There's a lot to it. And uh, I don't plan on staying super long tonight, uh, hopefully, uh, because I've had a long day of Bible studies uh, before, before this, and this is just kind of the end of the work day. So I figure, uh, why not record a few times a week uh, at the end? Um, but in chapter 25, all right, and by the way, I will also be reading from the NLT tonight. Some of you that might bug you and others of you, it will, uh, you'll be happy about it. So uh, wherever you fall, that's where you fall. 
But this is going to be, uh, I'm going to be reading from the NLT. Chapter 25 and verse 1, it says, Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. And uh, if you consult the Hebrew there, that's actually the land of Paran. Um, uh, there was a wealthy man from Maon or Paran who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and it was a sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. Uh, she was a sensible and a beautiful woman, but Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with, his, with this message for Nabal, Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them. Nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Nabal's response is, who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does the son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Well, David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. <laughs> Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own sword. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. <laughs> Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. Remember, they're armed, they're ready to kill, they're offended, they're upset, and by the way, justly so. Um, this was no way to talk to a king, obviously. Uh, okay, verse 21. David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow. David's upset, folks. Think about this. He has gathered 400 
uh, military men, 400 soldiers, to go and reprimand one bad guy. This is mad. David is upset. And I know that I'm saying all of this with a great smile. I think it's because the story of Nabal kind of amuses me. But uh, I could spend my time focusing on Nabal, but I, I believe I'll rather spend my time focusing on Abigail. All right? Verse, uh, verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, she accepted the blame for Nabal, but she was not the one that sinned she, against David. She was not the one that answered David foolishly. She was not the one that rejected David. In fact, she is bringing all the things that David required, that, that David asked for, that David requested. She's bringing all of this stuff to David in the midst of her, you know, accepting the blame for what Nabal did not bring. Okay? This is very important in the ministry of an intercessor. She accepts all the blame, but she's not guilty of the blame. She puts herself in the way of judgment, but she is not guilty of the wickedness that brought forth the judgment. Okay? Please listen to what I have to say, she says. Verse 25. I know that Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. She, what she's really saying there is, get your eyes on me and don't focus on him. Don't think about him. Think about me. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. This is a good time for me to put this in there. Nabal in Hebrew means the fool. Okay, But I have never even saw the young man that you sent. So focus on me. Let's talk about our relationship. This is what an intercessor does. Okay. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, pause for just a second. Remember, this is one chapter after David spares Saul. So I don't know whether Abigail knows about this. I, I think that she does. but uh, Or whether she's just kind of speaking things that she doesn't even know, you know, it's possible that she might just be speaking kind of in alignment with the Spirit of God, uh, or maybe news had spread, you know, through Israel, uh, or perhaps even through uh, Paran, uh, that David has come into contact with Saul, who desired to kill him and had all of this evil intention towards him, and David didn't even kill Saul. So Abigail here is, is saying, you know, you have a history of mercy. You have Pay attention, folks. This is what an intercessor does. You have a history of mercy. You have a history of forgiveness. You have a history of, 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 of giving grace whenever judgment was demanded. You have a history of this. Um, okay? And she's saying, God has kept you from taking vengeance into your own hands. Let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me. Wow, she is repenting. This is what an intercessor does. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. 
Now, why would she do that? We all know that she was not guilty. We all know that she was not the one that turned David away, and yet she says, forgive me if I have offended you in any way. Hmm. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. <laughs> Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, see, she's reminding him uh, of how he spared Saul. Uh, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in His treasure pouch, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. And perhaps there she's uh, calling back on his victory over Goliath. You see, what she's doing is, this is what an intercessor does. The intercessor begins to remind uh, the one that they're talking to about their previous victory, reminding them of their resume, reminding them you know, that, that these... Uh, whenever they have faced trouble in the past, how they've handled it. And, um, okay, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all He promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. So what an intercessor does, what she's doing now, she consults his past and then consults his present, meaning his present sense of anger, his present predisposition towards judgment, and she says, don't let this present mar your past, but especially don't let this present mar your future. When you do come to power, when you do come to the throne, don't let a mistake in how you handled a fool mark you and make you like everyone else. That's what she's saying. That's what the intercessor says, okay? Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. And David grants her mercy. He says, hey, you woke me up. You, you, uh, <laughs> you, you, you shook me out of my anger. You, and because of you, your household is going to live. David says to her, I, before, you come, before you showed up, I had decided that I was going to kill everybody in your, in your house. And David said, but because you spoke up and because you reminded me of who I am and because you, you shook me out of this anger, you stood, here's the intercessor, you stood between me and the guilty. You got my eyes off of the guilty he put my eyes on you and your innocence. And that stopped my anger, boy. And that gave mercy to the guilty. You see, this is the concept of the intercessor. Okay? Let's, let's kind of take this step by step. First of all, you have the guilty party. As I said, I don't want to spend a lot of my time teaching about Nabal, the fool. If you want to learn about Nabal, let me give you some scriptures real quick if you're taking notes. Um, let's see. This is all I'm going to say about him, okay? You can, find, you can find some stuff about Nabal or those like him in uh, Psalm 14 and 1. The fool has said in their hearts there is no God. 
Don't get mad at me. That's the Bible. That's not me. Proverbs 6.32, Proverbs 10 and 8, Proverbs 10 and 23, Proverbs 17 and 7, Proverbs 16, 17 and 16, Proverbs 26 and 1, Proverbs 26 and 7, Proverbs 29 and 11, Proverbs 29 and 20. All right? That is, uh, that's all about Nabal. That's all about the folks uh, that the scripture considers them fools. And I would encourage you to go through that list and read all of the places that Proverbs especially refers to the behavior of a fool and do an inventory and just simply ask yourself, hey, based on the scriptural definition, am I living like a fool? Hopefully you're not. So let's talk about the intercessor. Let's focus on Abigail. So we have the guilty party, Nabal. We have uh, the, the judge or we have the, the person in power in this, in this occasion, um, uh, David. And then we have the intercessor. To intercede just simply means to go between, right? It is, uh, it is the inputting yourself in the situation, all right? Uh, I, will, I will warn you, before this is over, I will likely... I will likely offend you, convict you, something, okay? My prayer is that you don't end this study feeling the same way about yourself and about others, okay? Um, we have the guilty party. We have the righteous judge. We have the intercessor, all right? Other occasions in the Bible um, where an intercessor is a person or a human or whatever, um, and I'm going somewhere with this, uh, in Genesis, let's see, chapter uh, in okay, in Genesis chapter eighteen, starting in verse sixteen, the angels come and they visit with Abraham. He makes them a meal, and uh, and the Lord begins to speak and says, uh, "Should I reveal that which I?" you know, plan to do regarding Sodom and Gomorrah uh, to Abraham. Now, the first thing that I want to point out is whenever, whenever this is an occasion of God and His judgment, this, is, this seems to be very unique. What I mean by that is God is a God of judgment, and yet He is also a God of mercy. He is a God of righteousness, meaning equality and, equ and equity on both sides. And yet he is also a God, you know, that, that gives grace. And, you know, we, we struggle sometimes to strike that balance between grace and equality. Grace and, you know, because in, in our heads, equality really lends itself more to, to vengeance than it does uh, to mercy. Equality really kind of more aligns with justice uh, than it does with with mercy, with forgiveness, you know, and so this is why the old way was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, but the Lord, the Lord says, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and tell Abraham, Abraham, I'm headed down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, it's a wicked city. Their cries have risen up uh, before me, and uh, He says, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to see if it really is as bad as what I hear it is, and uh, and the Lord says. You know, basically, what do you have to say about it? This is this is how the Lord brings a burden to an intercessor. 
Abraham knows that he has family in that city and he begins to do the job of the intercessor and that is, like I said, the intercessor is simply defined as someone that goes between. And Abraham steps in between God and Sodom. I know that many times we, you know, we're, we, we, we try to we try to take that story and we try to manipulate it. We try to make it fit, you know, our narrative or whatever. But, but let's just keep it at face value. The Bible says that Abraham yet stood before the Lord. Okay, and so this would mean that he is in between Sodom and Gomorrah. But really, truthfully, although he's talking about the city, we know that Abraham has Lot on his mind. He has his family, uh, you know, at stake. And uh, many times intercessors find their place interceding for their family, you know. And uh, although he's crying out for the city, saying, you know, will you spare the city if there are 50 righteous? If you, will you spare the city if there are, and he goes all the way down to 10, right? Well, by the time that he gets to 10 and the Lord reveals to him there's not even 10 righteous in the city, Abraham then realizes, well, my family must not be a part of that righteousness. And Abraham stops interceding. Now, we, we could really be hard on Abraham right there. I've heard many a man of God, and I, I, don't, I don't necessarily even disagree with them, but uh, I've heard many uh, great preachers talk about why did Abraham stop interceding? Uh, God went with him at 50. Yes, if there's 50 righteous, I will, I will keep my judgment. If, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 25, if there's 20, if there's 10, God kept going with Abraham. He followed the intercessor through every request. Um, the problem, the problem is, you know, in a lot of people's opinions, Abraham stopped interceding. And we're like, I believe that if Abraham had gone to, to one, God, if there's just one righteous in the city, would you still spare it? And who knows, God might have gone there with him. The question then, though, really is that, you know, typically, this is patriarchal, uh, this is patriarchal righteousness, meaning uh, the, those that are in Abraham's home, they, they live for God because Abraham lives for God. And, uh, and, and typically, if you're in the home of somebody that lives for God during this time, because it's patriarchal, if they live for God, you live for God. And, uh, you know, I mean, so by the time that Abraham gets to 10, what he's realizing is there must be an issue with Lot. Lot must not be living for God if that's the case. And I have a whole other study on this, okay? And I'm not going to go into that. Where we tend to lose sight of things is we are hard on Abraham for stopping his intercession. But don't forget, although Sodom was judged and although Sodom received the judgment of God, remember that Lot and his family did not. The, the intercession, we all focus on the fact that Abraham stopped interceding and Sodom and Gomorrah paid for it. No sir, Sodom and Gomorrah did not pay for Abraham's lack of prayer life. Sodom and Gomorrah paid for their wickedness. Sodom and Gomorrah paid for, you know, I mean, read the story folks. They want to rape the angels. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was, was terribly wicked. Uh, they, they are paying not for Abraham stopping, to inter, you know, stopping his intercession. They're paying for their sins. Lot and his family experienced the deliverance 
uh, that comes whenever an intercessor gets in the way. Um, a lot of times we, we, we're hard on people that get in the way, but thank God somebody got in the way between me and my destruction. Thank God somebody stood in the gap. We need somebody to get in the way. Um, I'm, I'm reminded whenever I, whenever I look at the intercession, you know, the intercessor, I'm reminded of the lamb, you know. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21 says that God, uh, you know, made a coat of animal skin. If you look into that very deep at all, you'll see that the Lord killed a lamb right there in the Garden of Eden, and He clothed Adam and Eve. What was that lamb? But it was the intercessor. It was the one that stood in between Adam and Eve's nakedness, their sin, their uh, you know the, the exposed carnality and God's righteous judgment. That lambskin. Whenever. I've, I've thought many times in the past, why didn't God just remove the fig leaves and send them out naked? But the problem is they, they put the fig leaves on to try to cover their guilt. And, uh, you know, the, the, you ever had a really bad smell in your house <laughs> and you end up spraying something to make it smell good, but what ends up happening is it, it smells like Boom Boom and Lysol now? That's exactly what the fig leaves were. Uh, Adam and Eve constructed these fig leaf aprons in order to try to cover their sin, to cover their, uh, their vulnerability, you know, to, to, to make themselves covered before God. But the problem is, although it covered it up, it didn't make it right. It didn't make it righteous. And so Adam and Eve end up smelling like Boom Boom and Lysol. You know, whenever God, whenever God is walking through the garden and he, he finally spots them, you know, and he sees this, these fig leaves, it, it makes them covered, but it doesn't make them right. And there's, there's plenty of people when they backslide, yeah, 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 I'm going to go right into it. There's plenty of people when they backslide, they rush to anything they can in the world to try to cover it. Um, th those are fig leaves. They they change their hair. They if they're a woman, you know they, or many if they're a man either I guess they 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 pierce something. They they're gonna they're gonna glob as much, uh, you know makeup on as they can. They they're going to change everything they can about their outside. That's what Adam was doing. He, uh, that's what Eve was doing. They they were changing everything they could about their outside to try to mask the fact that on the inside something is wrong and I don't want you to see it so I'm going to add extra stuff I'm going to I'm, I, because I can't allow myself to be vulnerable before God and, and show and expose this this problem that I have this sin that I have and, and so in the midst of all of that God does not allow them to keep their their fig leaves he, he but rather and, and what I love though is that God does not remove the fig leaves and force them to, out of the garden naked he instead takes a lamb and he covers them with that lambskin. And this is the purpose of the intercessor, you see? It is, it is that whenever God looks at them now, he doesn't see the fig leaves. He doesn't see the cover-up. And he also doesn't see their nakedness. He doesn't see their vulnerability. He doesn't see their sin. He doesn't see that flesh that messed up. But what he does see is this innocent lambskin. It is the barrier. It is the advocate. It is what goes between them, their vulnerability, their sin, their problem, and a righteous God. That was the intercessor. Later on, uh, you know, we tell, I'm telling you folks, we tell a lot of Bible stories incorrectly. Um, whenever we get to the story of Jacob uh, going before Isaac and receiving the inheritance, we tell that story so wrong. 
We, we, we pretend as if Jacob is some mastermind, or maybe Rebecca is this mastermind of, of a deceiver, you know, and, and that he's got poor old blind Isaac totally fooled. Folks, Isaac was not as fooled as you think he was because he picks up on it. He says, well, he says that the smell, the, 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 the feel of it all, it feels like Esau, but the voice is Jacob. What is he saying? He said, the outside, the outside of you tells me of Esau, but the inside of you still screams Jacob. Now, I will admit that Jacob was guilty here, that, that Jacob is, he is guilty of deception. He is trying to be something that he's not. He is, uh, and he's trying to receive something, you know, that originally was not intended uh, for him to receive according to Jacob, according to Isaac at least. We know that God promised it to him. But and that Esau surrendered it to him. But do you, don't you realize, folks, that if Isaac, if Isaac really does know that this is Jacob, Isaac can stop the process at any point. It's in the Father's hands. But rather, instead of saying, you know what, I, the voice is Jacob, so I'm, I need to investigate this, and let me call some people in here. Hey, guys, come in here. Uh, who is this really? Tell me, because I'm blind. Isaac doesn't do that. Instead, Isaac embraces the fact that there might be a guilty party here, but there is somebody, there's something that is between the guilty party and the righteous judge. You see, we think that that sheepskin was the agent of deception for Jacob, but it wasn't. It was the agent of intercession for Jacob. It was, it was that lambskin. It was the barrier. It was the, it was the advocate that went between a guilty Jacob and a righteous Isaac that was giving his portions. You see, folks, this is, this is the beauty of the intercession. Hey everybody, uh, Pastor Young here. Uh, I want to apologize to you that uh, the last study shut off so abruptly. Uh, I was right in a great spot in the study and I received a phone call. And um, anyways, I, I got kind of off of my mojo, so uh, I decided that I would postpone um, recording part two. Uh, until I had adequate time and uh, I plan today to uh, finish that lesson uh, regarding the intercessor. This is the intercessor part two and uh, if you have not watched uh, the intercessor part one I want you to stop this video and I want you to watch that one first because I'm going to pick up immediately where uh, the video was cut off and I will not be reviewing um, what I taught in the first lesson. So. Uh, just before the video shut off, I was bringing the comparison of the intercessor uh, in kind of our misunderstanding regarding the uh, story where Jacob goes in before Isaac uh, to receive his portion, uh, and or rather to receive Esau's portion. <laughs> and uh, in order to do that, Jacob wears the lambskin. As I was saying, a lot of times we look at that as if that is Jacob in deception, but uh, Isaac is not nearly as deceived as what we believe him to be because he picked up on the fact that the voice is Jacob. Um, he, heard, he heard something on the inside, but he felt something on the outside. 
And uh, like I said, many of us chalk that up to uh, Jacob has pulled another one. You know, he's he's uh, deceived another one. Um, he's he's gotten away with it. But really, I believe wholeheartedly that Isaac uh, was moving within the Spirit of God uh, in in allowing Jacob to come before him. As I said, a guilty party uh, bowing before a righteous father. Uh, who is who is delivering the portions out and uh, the guilty party covered with a lambskin uh, this this is not a coincidence folks this is this is the power of the intercessor and that is that the lambskin uh, that innocent lamb just like it covered Adam and Eve coming out of the garden that innocent lambskin uh, stood as an advocate as the go-between as the mediator between a guilty Jacob and a righteous Isaac now, obviously, I can't go much further without bringing Christ into this picture, and then I'm going to bring it back to Abigail. Jesus, whenever, uh, whenever He steps foot on the earth, Jesus shows up as our mediator, of course. We know in the epistles it says, you know, scarcely for a good man would one die, uh, you know, and... and and, and if you're not good, there's not much hope that somebody's going to die for you. Yet, it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That uh, We know that in the book of Isaiah, it says that, that it pleased God, uh, the Spirit of God, to afflict the body, uh, the, the, the physical manifestation of, of God, that is Jesus. Um, say, you know, on behalf of our foolishness, on behalf of our sin, uh, that he, uh, he was without sin, yet, uh, you know, he took the sin of us all upon himself. And what I want you to see here, I'm, I'm going to bring this back to Abigail because I don't have to, I don't have to persuade you that Jesus is the Lamb of God. We know that, that John the Baptist identified him as the Lamb of God, the Lamb which comes to take away the sins of the world. Um, we know that, that Scripture calls him the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. We know that he was, uh, another place in Scripture says he was the Lamb for sinners slain. Uh, I mean, there's over and over and over in the book of Revelation, he appears as a Lamb having been slain, Revelation chapter 5. And uh, all, of, all of the host of heaven begin to sing that beautiful song, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And it was, of course, Jesus Christ. Now, the whole, the whole point here that I'm trying to get to is, uh, is that promise that Jesus would fulfill in Isaiah 53. Okay, so let's turn there real quick. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53. Go with me in your Bibles. All right. Um, and let's go to verse, let's see. Let's go to verse um, 3. All right. Uh, he was despised. And rejected, as I said last time, I'm reading out of the NLT, so it might say something a little different, but it it's the same. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief, and we turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Verse four. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep, we have gone astray. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. 
upon upon his shoulders he carried uh, he carried the weight of our sins, not of his sins. Verse seven, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet. He never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal, put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him, to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he, he will have many descendants and will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. There's, a, there's another version of this that says he was numbered with the transgressors. Although he was not a transgressor, he was counted among the foolish, among the sinners, and, and he took it upon himself having done no wrong. Now, uh, I take you. I, I, I could take you back into uh, into the the time where the children of Israel are uh, going through the wilderness for forty years, and uh, the, God gets so angry at them that God tells Moses, "Get out of my way." He says, "He says I'm going to strike these people down. I'm going to kill them all." And he says, "I'm going to start over." And he says, "And I'll make of you a nation, and I'll bless them, you know. And I'll I'll make your." He he began. The Lord, in his in his righteous judgment, he is ready to bring the hammer down, so to speak, on the Israelites. And then, but see, where I'm trying to show you every in in every instance where it is the judgment of a righteous God, a wicked people. It, there is there is this revelation of what is going to happen. Uh, like I said with with Abraham and he, he, he the Lord says to Abraham exactly what he's going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord tells Jonah exactly what he's going to do to Nineveh. Uh, he reveals through Jesus Christ what's going to happen in this world and in the occasion of Moses, the Lord doesn't sneak up on it with judgment. He doesn't, you know, he, he, tells, he tells his prophet, he tells the man of God exactly what is about to happen to these wicked people. Why would God do that if he wanted to just wipe the people out? If he truly wanted to wipe out uh, all of the wickedness and, and all of that, you know, if he wanted to kind of do a Noah all over again, why would God spend the time telling the man of God, revealing to uh, revealing to Moses what he's about to do to the people. It would almost seem as if the Lord is, uh, his righteousness demands judgment. His righteousness demands, uh, you know, to, to the price has got to be paid. But then it's almost as if like he checks with the man of God. He checks with the prophet. He checks with the intercessor. And it's almost like, this is what I'm going to do. Now, what do you have to say about it? Now, now, this is, this is where we're going to build upon Abigail, okay? Uh, so as I, as I shared with, the, with you in the last lesson, Nabal, uh, whose name, by the way, means the fool, uh, Nabal uh, gave a very, very cold reception to the king. He was, as his name said, foolish. 1 Samuel chapter 25, if you have forgotten. He was, he was foolish, just as his name implied. After David, the righteous king, has done so much for Nabal in protecting the sheep and protecting his lambs and protecting uh, his servants, uh, uh, whenever, whenever David, the king, uh, asks for something in return, uh, I've done all of this for you. 
I, I have, I have been good to you. I have, uh, I've been there whenever you needed me, even if you didn't realize that you needed me. And I want you to hear, I want you to hear God in all of this, because of course David here is kind of in that symbolic place of God, and Nabal is us, you know. Um, I've, I've done, I've done right by you. Even when you didn't realize you needed it, you know, I've, I have, I have provided for you even needs that you didn't realize that you had. And, and I've protected you whenever you didn't even realize there was danger. And, and, and what, can I get something in return? Can I, can I get, uh, you know, can I, can I get just a morsel of bread? Can I get anything? And Nabal, uh, the fool gives him a foolish answer and says, who is this King David? Who is the son of Jesse? Now, I, I, I want to point you way back in the book of Exodus, whenever Moses first delivers the, the message to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, let my people go, that they may worship me in the wilderness. Remember that? Do you remember Pharaoh's response? Pharaoh says, who is the Lord uh, and, and who is the God of Israel that I, that I might let his people go? He said, who is the Lord? Now, this... Uh, this is exactly what Nabal says when, when he gets the request of David. He says, who is David? Now, there, remember, this is in the East. This is not in the Western culture. In the East, there, they have what is called honor and shame, right? Uh, we, we tend to kind of do our motivation based on right and wrong, but in the East, uh, their, their great motivation is caught between honor and shame. Does this bring honor to my family, to my name, to my lineage, or does this bring shame? And, uh, and so they, they cared very much about how their name was treated. And this is also why the Lord uh, gives this as a command, actually one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now we think that just means cussing, but it, 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 to take it, that is the word in Hebrew that means to carry it. So, so really that command is, do not carry that name if you're not going to act like it. Do not carry that name around and put that, put that name, that label upon you, saying that you are a people of God if you're not going to talk like the people of God, if you're not going to walk like the people of God, if you're not going to look like the people of God, if you're not going to you know, have your attitude like the people of God, then you're putting that precious name upon you and you're carrying it in vain for nothing. So uh, the, the Lord cares very much about honor that is given to his name. As I said, uh, you know, they're, they're, the, the song of the angels is worthy as the lamb, uh, holy as the lamb of God, worthy is his name, right? His name, his name is, is, is so powerful. It's so uh, preserved. It is, uh, it is, it's, it's precious. So when Nabal gives this response, who is David? Just like Pharaoh saying, who is the Lord? This is them giving dishonor towards their name. Uh, and, and this is what gives David such great anger and such great judgment that he looks and turns to 400 swordsmen and says, let's go and kill everybody in the house. There is unrighteousness, there's foolishness that's happening there, and it demands judgment. It demands a, a verdict to be reached, and that verdict is going to be death to everybody in the home. Now, when Abigail hears about Nabal's folly, whenever Abigail uh, first learns about Nabal's foolish answer, his sin, if you will, towards David in dishonoring uh, David's name, Abigail takes everything that was requested of by the king. This is important because the intercessor 
uh, can cannot afford to be guilty of the same crime <laughs> that that the wicked is guilty of. You see, this is I think this is probably where we get the prayer of intercession incorrect in some places. In the New Testament, it says the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. And for some reason, it seems as if we focus so much on the effectual part, and that is to, to be the best way I could describe effectual would be emotional um, or effective, uh, you, you know, the, the specific, the, the non-vague. So that is referring to, uh, you know, there's a place and a time for this, but effectual prayer is not prayer where you just sit and rock back and forth like I've been doing this whole lesson. And you say, oh God, oh God, hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. That's not effectual prayer. It's not effective prayer uh, because there's, there's no supplication. There's no repentance. There's no worship. There's no, you see, and so uh, we get caught in the routine, these vain repetitions, you know, as Jesus said. Um, that's not effectual. So the effectual prayer, the specific prayer, the effective prayer, uh, and, and it says the, the fervent prayer. That fervent comes from the word heat, right? The hot prayer, the passionate prayer. And so, you know, likewise, if, if we're praying that, that God would heal somebody of cancer, um, it is not fervent prayer if you just say, Lord, touch him uh, in Jesus' name. You know, uh, we're, we're praying over things the way that we get caught praying over our food, you know, uh, and, and we just get caught in the same routine of prayer. Lord, bless this food in Jesus' name. Amen. That's, that's not effectual. That's not fervent. We focus on those two things, and I think probably because we can control those things. We can control our attitude towards prayer. We can control our passion towards prayer and make sure that we're not lazy in our praying. But what we seem to neglect is that it is the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man. We got plenty of people praying effectually. We got plenty, plenty of people praying fervently with heat, with passion, but I wonder how many times we focus on the emotion, the effectiveness of the prayer, and we forget about our righteousness. That is not to say that any of us are totally, perfectly righteous, but that is just, are, you, are we in right standing with God? And many of us, we try to intercede, but in the midst of us having a burden for someone, we forget the, the post that is sticking out of our eye as we're trying to intercede for a splinter in someone else's eye. And, uh, and we wonder why our prayers aren't getting answered when we intercede, but it might be because we are guilty of the same sins that the people that we're interceding for are guilty of. It is, and so we've lost the righteous connection with God. And so we're effectual, we're fervent, but you know, okay, I think you get my point. David has requested food to be brought, and whenever Abigail stands in between the king and the fool, she has got to make sure that she heeds the request of the king. You see? And so she gathers food. She gathers what the king has requested and she brings it forth to David. The next thing that she does is she takes the sin of Nabal upon herself. This is where I'm drawing the comparison between her and Christ, right? Numbered among the transgressors. He that knew no sin became sin so that we, you know, this is yet, yet without sin, right? This is, this is exactly where Abigail uh, you know, shows up in the power of her intercession is she says to David, look, if I did any wrong, if, if I offended you, I am sorry. She says to David, she starts repenting for her whole house and she repents for, for her nation, for her, you know, for, for her group of people. 
she stands as that righteous bride, you know, that that is married to a fool, and and she's saying. Oh, upon me you know this is look at me turn your wrath away from him and look at me this is the power of the righteous intercessor that the Lord is able just like the lambskin the Lord is able to see not the guilt of those that's getting prayed for but to see the innocence of the advocate standing in the way this is why whenever God turned to Moses and said Moses this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna judge him I'm gonna kill him I'm gonna start over with you Moses stood before the Lord and Moses said Lord get your get your eyes off of them and look at me Moses said let this thing be far from you and he said in fact if you do this to your people he said blot my name out of the book that you've written I don't want to be a part of it I don't want to be associated uh, with the judgment of God whenever there's no intercessor and, and I, 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 I have a place to work in the kingdom, Moses realized. And if I've got to stand before God, I'm going to stand before God. You see, Moses took the sins of the people upon himself as a type and shadow, a symbolic uh, precursor for Christ, right? That he hung on that cross even though he did no wrong. And, and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was turning the, the eyes and the attention of the Spirit of God off of the wickedness of man and putting it upon himself, numbered among the transgressors, yet he carried no sin. Daniel did this as well for the children of Israel. Uh, in the book of Daniel, you'll find that he intercedes for the children of Israel and he begins to repent, although we don't see any record of Daniel falling into the same sins as them. You see, we have an issue whenever we, whenever uh, repentance, whenever intercession, whenever supplication becomes only local. Meaning, I only will pray about my needs and not somebody else's. I will only intercede on my own behalf and not on behalf of someone else. Abigail, she could have easily sat back and said, look, the fool, the, the end of the fool, we know it, exactly what it, what it uh, ends with. You know, it ends in place of death. And uh, Abigail could have watched and sat back and let Nabal and his, and his entire household self-destruct because of Nabal's wicked response to a righteous king. But instead, she does what the intercessor does. She grants the wishes of the king. She makes sure that she's not guilty of the same wickedness as the one that she's uh, repenting for. She turns his attention off of the wickedness of, uh, of the guilty and upon her righteousness. Once again, not to say she's perfectly righteous, but that she is in right standing with his commands at minimum. Then she repents on his behalf, saying, I, I, I'm not... I, I know I've not done any wrong, but I put myself in between the king and the fool. And then last, what she does is she reminds David of who he is. She reminds the king of his history, of his past. And she says, you know, in the past, you've let people go whenever they deserve to die. Talking about Saul. Whenever people have sought after your life, you didn't take judgment out on them. So why, why then, if you forgave them, why would you now judge somebody that's a fool anyways? And she begins to remind the king, the righteous judge, of who he really is. You are a king of mercy. You don't let this blot out your reputation. Uh, you know, you, you have a history of forgiveness. You have a history of mercy. Don't start now to stop forgiving. That, 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 that might come later in a time of judgment, but not, don't let it be now. You see, folks, this is the place of the bride. The bride is here to stand in the gap between the king and the fool. 
And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but Abigail was married to the fool. Well, likewise, we are married to the sinner, right? We, we, we are walking among the sinner. We are living in the same household as the sinner, whether it's literally or whether you want to take that from saying, you know, we, we occupy the same earth. We're in this earth. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And likewise, Abigail was in Nabal's home, but she was not of Nabal's home. And she had the capacity to stand before a righteous king, to stand in the way of the judgment and say, turn your attention towards me. I've granted your commands. Uh, this uh, 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 stop your judgment now. Look upon my righteousness, uh, not in my perfection, but but in my relationship with you. And and in that place, I repent on their behalf. I repent. Uh, I repent for their wickedness. Show mercy because this is your history. This is your character. This is who you are. And David stopped the judgment because of a righteous bride. And I know, like I said, you might be thinking, well. I don't know about this because Abigail is married to Nabal. Well, if you read just a little bit further, you'll find that Nabal, the fool, finds his end exactly where the Bible predicted that the fool will find its end. He died. And uh, upon his death, the bride is able to take her rightful place and she becomes the bride of the king. Hallelujah. There's something so powerful about the intercessor that the Lord carry the Lord carries so much weight, or, or I should say, the bride, the intercessor carries so much weight with the Lord. And, and I think it's so interesting that whenever Nabal the fool passes away, the king remembers the intercessor. The king remembers the one that stood in front of him and conflict confronted him over his potential judgment. The Lord remembers whenever you intercede. And let me also finish with this. He remembers when you don't intercede. There's a place in Ezekiel where he says, I looked among all the people trying to find someone to stand in the gap, looking for an intercessor, he said, but I could find none. The Lord remembers whenever you intercede and the Lord remembers when you don't intercede. And so what I'm, what I'm saying today is don't fall into that trap, that category where you say, well, only Big Mama is powerful enough in the Lord to intercede. You know, only only Nanny or only, only someone that is old and somebody that's been walking with God a long time, they're the only ones really that the Lord cares to hear from them. No, no, the Lord, the Lord is just looking for somebody. As I said, in Matthew 24, the Lord began to explain the judgment that is to come because He does not want His bride, His prophets, His, His people to be caught by surprise. It's just like Abraham. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. It's just like Moses. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do, but then I'm going to, I'm going to say, now what do you have to say about it? Jesus came as that ultimate sacrifice. He stands now forever before the throne of God making intercession for us. But there's another place where it says, I want, you, I want you to go to my house and I want you to see who's interceding. I want you to see who's praying. And, and if, they're, if they should be praying, if they should be interceding and they're not, he said, I want you to take the ink horn and I want you to put a mark upon them. Mark those that should be praying and should be interceding but are not. I want you to know I don't bring this lesson to you uh, to condemn you or to, to try to rebuke you or correct you if you have let your intercession slide to the back. But what I do want to tell you is it is time for the intercessors to take their place because it is intercession that breaks up the fallow ground of the heart. It is the intercessor that allows the harvester, the, the evangelist, to go out and to win souls and to reach people because somebody has been praying for them. I am a door knocker. I'm a Bible study teacher and I need you 
to intercede for the people that I'm trying to reach. I need you to intercede for the city of Wichita. I need you to intercede for the city of Kansas City. Your pastor needs somebody to intercede for the city they're trying to reach. The Lord will remember those who intercede and He will remember those who do not. I love you all so much. I pray that this has challenged you. I pray that this has blessed you and encouraged you, maybe corrected you a little bit, but that's the purpose of the word. I love you all. I pray you're blessed in Jesus' name.